0: David Zritsky from The Bond Experience, great to have you on the Button Up Podcast.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Great to be here.
0: Absolutely. So I found you a few years ago when I was trying to recreate Skyfall looks, and you had Mm. your your video talking about recreating some of those uh, garments. But I know a little bit about David Zritsky, but we'd love to dive into the story behind how you became the guy who now runs The Bond Experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been a Bond fan since... Oh, gosh, nearly inception. My father was uh, one of those entrepreneurs that didn't have a ton of time to go throw the ball in the backyard, but for some reason, Bond meant a lot to him. So uh, vis-a-vis, it meant a lot to me because those were my daddy-son moments. I'm pretty sure there's a psychiatric uh, issue going on there. But when I became a young executive in my early 30s and had some folding cash, I started to gravitate to the lifestyle moments of James Bond, you know, a watch or a sweater And it was with um, especially Tomorrow Never Dies with Pierce Brosnan, who, you know, he looks like a model. He looks the part that I started to emulate and understand, you know, something I could actually have these invisible Bond moments. You know, it's not Star Trek where you're wearing pointy ears or a stormtrooper outfit. People won't notice that I'm wearing this watch, but I'll have this nostalgic appreciation of James Bond through accessories and through garments. So I started to do that, and I was a young executive and started to kind of look the part more and more. And I believe it was probably around 2004 when there was just an emptiness. You know, Pierce Brosnan's last movie had already happened. Uh, There was no such thing as a Daniel Craig yet. So there was this big gaping maw of nothingness in the Bond world, and I started to write articles. And a friend of mine, um, you may know him, Rembrandt von Braun, who's the Bond Lifestyle, uh, major website about where to find some of these things, started to ask me to do more and more articles. And it was all about living, it's what you guys talk about, living this lifestyle, which, you know, it's part hobby, but you truly are living these moments throughout your entire day. And they're fun and they're emotional and they're educational and lo and behold, there was an audience that didn't have a lot of content and things to consume, so they loved the articles. But I have a little secret to share with you guys. I hate writing. Oh, yes, I hate writing. Um, but I always loved performing and I always loved video. And so what I started to do is I went to Remmert and I said, would you mind if I started to forget about the writing and start to do these videos and my personality, you know, my waving of the arms and showing these visual things was able to really find and breathe some life. And then probably around 2011, I know I'm giving you the gory details, um, Rembrandt and I decided that the videos were becoming entities to themselves. They, they couldn't really be subtexts of his website. And so I started to think about, well, what do I do here? Um, and YouTube channel was logical. And I said, what I'm doing here is I'm experiencing bond. And it's mostly through the sartorial aspects, but I'm going on locations. I'm speaking to some of the actors. What I'm really doing is I'm experiencing bond one moment at a time through my own life journey. And maybe there's somebody out there that's doing the same thing. Maybe there's somebody out there that would get a kick out of experiencing, be a character in my story and be a part of the story. And so the bond experience in uh, 2012 was born.
0: That's probably by when I found you. I definitely read the Bond lifestyle. That's where I found some of the gloves that I wanted. I was like, oh yeah, I want Daniel's gloves and I want uh, I want his shoes, his chuck of boots, that sort of thing. And so I definitely remember that, that era. But you also you, you could have been one of the original YouTube guys then. like if you had done uh, YouTube what was 0506, but man, if you would have leaned into not writing a little bit sooner, you'd be, you'd be really early.
1: That's right, I'd be the OG. Or whatever, yeah, you know, like
0: <laughs> stylogy. Yeah, I hate writing too. Brock and I talk about that. It's just video is so much better, and it's it is perfect for what we do, which is clothing texture and showing the fit of things.
1: Yes. Yeah, and I think that was part of the ask. You know, early on, people knew that a lot of these things, like you were doing this this hunt, if you will, for James Bond items, can also be an investment. So before people would purchase, they wanted to have somebody experiencing it in almost an imprint their face onto that individual. And that's what I became. I became kind of a spokesperson for individuals that wanted to test these items out. Almost exactly what you guys do.
0: So was the blue waved out, uh, Seamaster, was that your first, was that your first entryway into that world?
1: That was, that was my gateway drug. Yes. I remember getting that and just staring at it probably like, you know, I would imagine my wife did when she got her engagement ring. But, uh, you know, the, the, the lines of it, the contours, and then the constant bringing it back to those moments in the movie, I, I could literally hear the Bond score when I would look at that watch. Oh,
2: yeah, I know. That's what draws you to it. Mm-hmm. How did you, I mean, besides some of the obvious things like that, like, you know, there's a specific watch in this movie or, or this actor wore this suit. Like, how did you come up with content ideas, I guess? Did you get questions from the audience or did you just already have like a, a
1: never ending list of your own? you know, I probably should take, should have taken requests. I never did that. I literally woke up and I would say, what am I interested in? Um, what do I want to review? And I will tell you, and it's, it's transformed because initially it used to be that, uh, I would, you know, I was blessed enough to have an occupation where I could purchase many of these things. So they would literally come in the mail because I purchased them and I would open them up and do a review. And these were things that I wanted. Nobody requested them. And sometimes I would have the whole outfit put together. Sometimes they were piecemeal. And sometimes it was just born out of frustration, you know, talking about one of the things I've always been very honest about is what's the experience of purchasing these items? You know, what, what's the customer experience, you know, walking into Tom Ford, you know, they, they're giving you champagne and, you know, single malts and things like that. Do they treat you well? I mean, if you're paying $960 for a polo that's made out of cotton, are they treating you well? Is the experience worth that moment, that investment? And so I think that's what people really started to gravitate to. Frankly and transparently today, because of where we are with a brand and a channel, many of the items are sent uh, proactively or like as in a few years ago i actually started to work with the brands and it's not working with them in a business um transactional way but actually to help them with ideation of their items oh
2: interesting and so was it was there a moment like when i don't know you got that first product sample that first complimentary sample or something where you're like oh this is something i have something here
1: <laughs> it, it was amazing yeah this was the first time i received a you know kind of a, a freebie if you will i I feel like this is the psychiatry couch. So I'm just going to open up. I remember feeling almost an obligation to say only good things. And my first few reviews were very similar to that. I was like, Ooh, you know, this, this negligee that I'm wearing is amazing. It's see-through in all the right places. And that didn't happen. But, um, I just, I felt compelled to do that. And then I really had this pining that was going on inside of me that said, this is not what I'm about. This is not, why people would dial in and quite frankly you know I was doing and still do something called the frugal bond moments which for those that don't have a lot of spending money but still everybody deserves to have that bond moment you know how do you find that at Target how do you find that at uh, Kmart and online and J crew so it felt like I wasn't being honest with myself and my audience nowadays I'm very um I'm very balanced with my review. So even when I get that in, I still get that rush, but it is different. And and I've got to tell you that I kind of left it on a, on a cliffhanger. When I say ideating with brands, um, take NPL Cashmere. They just came out with a 007 line of clothing. I feel like those are my friends over there because I've known them since 2012 from the CEO down. And I've worked with Adam, who's the CEO, and his uh, creative people on what items we're actually in that line. You know, what What would Bond fans want? What should they look like? You know, the, the fact that a Goldfinger long-sleeve polo is not a Goldfinger long-sleeve polo. It's actually a short sleeve black polo underneath a V-neck. But if you watch the movie on VHS, you think it's a polo. So kind of correcting them on that. So by the time it came out and I got my freebie, I felt like I had, you know, associatedly given birth to that. So it was hard for me to find fault with any of it. Yeah, you're like this thing is perfect. <laughs> yeah, damn it. I had a fingerprint on it.
2: Do you find that these brands are uh, like for the most part uh, truly interested in like like capturing that bond essence or
1: are they kind of trying to use the bond image to sell stuff? It's 70 thirty, and it sounds like I did analytics on it, but I just grabbed that number. 70 percent of the brands really do want the cachet and they want to merchandise. They want to market. They want to put a megaphone up to that bond moment. And 30% do not. In fact, a few, let me start with those. A few want to bury it and neutralize it. And I've actually had a brand say to me, um, I wanted to do an interview with the CEO and talk about the brand when the brand knew it was going to be in a Bond movie. And they said, we'd rather not. They were very polite about it. They said, we'd rather not because we're a fashion brand. We're not a Bond brand. And we're not cosplay. And we're not interested in being a movie associated brand we're a fashion brand. And that was a very, very focused decision to make. 70% of them are elated. And mind you, I don't know if you know the full process um, with the Bond movies, but many of the times, most of the time, when something shows up in a Bond film, there isn't a contract for that brand to be in the Bond film. Some are contracted, most are not. You literally have buyers, three to four buyers go around for the costume designer to different brands. Sometimes the actor like Daniel Craig has a lot of influence on which brands they go to. But for example, they, if they have to buy a Henley, they'll go around to three or four different brands and buy Henleys. And so they'll load up a room filled with different brands that the actor, if he has, you know, clout like Daniel Craig and the costume designer will walk around and pick out different things. So sometimes a Bond brand will see themselves for the very first time when the trailer comes out, they won't even know like NPL, perfect example. I keep going back to them, but they found out about their connection to Skyfall for the first time when they saw it as a part of a movie image. And it was actually identified by a fan. It wasn't even identified by them. Well,
0: and it's also unique with them too, because from what I understand, they, there's no agreement that. They will be paid for to be in the movie, but there's an advertising agreement, right? Like Heineken isn't paying much money to be in the movie, but it's agreed that they'll do advertising in conjunction with the movie, which is also unique to the franchise.
1: That's right. And and many of the times that'll happen post-production. So when a brand finds out that they're going to be in it, they'll approach Eon and Eon marketing will negotiate with them and say, yes, you can talk about it as a Bond brand and you can have this type of uh, restrictions. You know, there is... (laughs) There is a very restrictive Bond Bible that says what you can and can't do, even with the logo, uh, even the color of the logo is important to them. So they're they're confined within a certain shell, if you will.
2: And do you think that like, especially with, I guess, fashion and accessories, um, being in a Bond movie can move the needle for a company or is it more just like
1: a, a, a cool factor? I'm hard pressed to think of any brand that it hasn't. So let's take Billy Reid. 2012, Billy Reid's Skyfall Bond Pico, which they state was called Bond before it was in Bond, from Bond Street. And they are on Bond Street, legitimately. Great company, love the people there. Uh, we did a video and, uh, you know, Maya Copa, I give them the credit, but we did a video. We were able to get it before they were put back out and reissued. Uh, they sold 800 of those coats within a few months. It is now a staple. In the summertime, they are selling that coat all day long, every day. And so, yes, I mean, it's it's a long way of answering. And by the way, even these, what I call homage lines, all of our Brown, who came out with their phase one and phase two, their shorts and their line of clothing, they'll be coming out with a phase three. That 007 line not only moved the needle for those items, it actually attracted people to the brand and so they're shopping the brand and discovering the brand for the very first time through the alignment of James Bond.
0: Oh, yeah. The primary way that I know of Billy Reid is because of the Skyfall coat. I was like, I need this coat. Oh, my God. And then I discovered Billy Reid and then got associated with a brand beyond there. And now I have a couple of his things. But, yeah, I could definitely see because it, it's almost like um, – So when you talk about Apple computers, it's like the nerds who love Apple or the ones who spread the word of Apple. And it's like there's this core group of Bond fans that then spread the word of Bond and it it echoes out from there.
1: That's a really great point. And it's interesting because, I mean, obviously I've talked to a lot of these brands and even um, some of the production. The marketing of Bond is very interesting. So there's less caring of do you have, you know, 850,000 followers but if you have 25,000 followers on YouTube, what's their socioeconomical background? What's their geography? Who are they sharing the information with? So it's, it's kind of the three R's. It's relevance, reach, and resonance. And they literally talk about it as the three R's. And so they evaluate them accordingly. For example, there's um, Calvin Dyson is a, is a great James Bond influencer who's got a huge following. But Calvin isn't going to be necessarily talking about the brands. So the brands know that they go to a few people, um, people like Matt Spazer, you know, the suits of James Bond, people like Remmer, people like myself, because it's easier to go to three individuals to create that giant, you know, impact movement as opposed to trying to litter uh, the PR group.
0: It's a good way to approach it in today's uh, very scattered influencer market. So you were working with James Bond Lifestyle and then you moved into your own. When do you start having more discussions? Because you also have a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Like when do you start to really talk to Eon and work with the production?
1: You know something? Um, Even today, I I can't I cannot say that I work with Eon or production. There is no working with Eon production. There's a great phrase that my friend AJ says, we are but a hair on the dog of Eon. meaning. Um, it's almost and by like the way, it's they, a spy organization of some it's sort. It's a spy organization. Gosh, is that on purpose? I wish it was. But they're very smart about it. I mean, I, I, I have very nice cordial discussions, um, most of them by email, very infrequent. I'm just being very transparent. And that is by design. They do not want to influence the influencers. Uh, They don't want to puppet them. The mantra of how they treat influencers is at arm's reach. Literally, that's what they say. So, um, you know, and I, I do, I do, I think people look at the events that I do and they go, well, you know, he must be connected with Eon and Eon's, you know, letting him do these events. That's not what's happening at all. I'm, I'm putting on those events with permission from the brands because the brands, and let's go back to this. They are very restricted what they can do from an advertising standpoint. But imagine if you open up the NPL New York City store to a crazy person like David Zaritsky and say, would you like our store from 12 to 5? I have no idea what you're going to do with it, but would you like our store? Well, suddenly they're live streaming and you know I'm inviting my friends who are other influencers and suddenly you have an authentic organic marketing extreme that, quite frankly, Eon didn't have a part of. And NPL, you know, created the invitation and the opportunity, but it it does make it a little bit more authentic. Yeah, I think
2: I think that's smart of them. Most brands don't get that. You know, most brands do try to uh, work a little too closely with you know publishers and influencers, and, and it comes off as super
1: inauthentic and it kind of backfires. Exactly, and I think they smell that, especially. And you guys would know from other communities, but I know in the bond community, um, perfect example. And I'm giving you guys real. Gritty real world stuff. A couple of weeks ago, when the NPL launched, and I did that live stream, I got a little flack from the Bond, from people in the Bond community because it felt like one big commercial. It was Global James Bond Day. It's a holy day for James Bond people, and you know, suddenly David Ziritsky's live streaming talking about you know, thirty percent silk and seventy percent cashmere and how soft the hand is, and they're like, "What the you know What is going on here?" So I had to step back for a moment and say, guys, this was me seeing out a bunch of friends and peel, just like I did with all Brown. I know the people over there very well and giving them a platform. And, you know, I think it is, you're right. It is a little bit more authentic. I'm not on anybody's payroll. Do I get items from time to time? Yeah. But I always have an agreement with any company that sends me something. And I've heard you guys talk about this. I said, I'll receive it and I'll talk about it but there's no guarantee of what I'm going to like or what I'm going to dislike. If you're okay with that, then let's go.
0: I think some of the strongest brands are the ones that can take it on the chin. Like if they send you something Mm. and you can say this is what you didn't like about it. And then they'd go take that back and take that into feedback. Like those are the ones that are really worth working with. The ones that shut you out are the ones that it's like, well, clearly you don't care that much about the product or.
1: Hallelujah. And by the way, let me tell you about a win in that regard. Tom Ford, not a small brand. They're very proud of their bond connection. And I believe they're going to be coming out with a very interesting line very soon that has to do with no time to die. But they actually saw a video that I did years ago about that polo I mentioned earlier from Spectre. And it was and is a $996 polo. And I I did a mock boardroom of how they came up with the price and they kept adding zeros and it was pretty insulting. Um, but the people over there really appreciated that I was being very honest and transparent. And because of that, now I've got a very good relationship with Tom Ford and they've got a good relationship with the bond fans. And I just received one of my Holy grails from no time to die literally a couple of days ago, which is the very first no time to die Tom Ford bond suit that's been made for anybody other than Daniel Craig is sitting in my office right now. And, uh, this coming weekend I get fitted at the Tom Ford New York city store champagne in hand. So clearly they don't hold it against me. You know, they, they, they can take it on the chin, so to speak.
0: The one person that might be blacklisted from them is Matt for his, uh, his discussions of the brand because Matt Spazer, yeah, because Matt can definitely lay into them for the fit.
1: <laughs> you know, something, um, he's been in there several times with me, but he constantly hides behind me, so yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> it's
0: all right, Matt, they'll come around. Poor Matt, <laughs> that
2: just well, keeps it real,
0: <laughs> he does. Yeah, he. I, yeah. I, I can't remember who I found first. It was James Alley Fowler or, or Suits of James Bond. But I can remember sitting in my sitting in my in my like little cubicle reading reading about Glenn Check Plaid and uh, lusting over those from from Matt. And I was like, how does this guy know all this stuff? It's and he's incredible. highly
1: accurate. I don't make a purchase without going to the Suits of James Bond, and he's a good friend of mine. I, you know, that literally he corrected. Should I say the brand? I'll say the brand. It's fine. I think we got, even have it on one of the videos. Turnbull and Asser was making me a um, a bespoke shirt, and it was from Tomorrow Never Dies, the Pierce Brosnan Sea Island Cotton Ice Cube Blue, and he corrected them. They literally were going to make me the wrong collar, <laughs> and he corrected them and saved me from getting the wrong shirt.
0: Yeah, he the way that he can just call out movies and and like it's it's mind blowing really. Um, it is. So when you also have an Aston Martin, so when did I you do. go from like I'm gonna wear a watch, I'm going to wear the sweaters, and I'm also going to drive the car. When did you complete the
1: collection? There was connective tissue in between. I mean, really, I would say the last six years, especially, my wife and I have really been traveling the world a lot. And some of it has been for James Bond events, which has been phenomenal. But I started to get you know, more into those moments that you create, like locations and staying at some of the hotels and experiencing you know, some of the individuals associated with the film. And quite frankly, the Aston Martin, that particular one, the vantage, has always been a holy grail of mine since two thousand and six. I loved it. Um, the DBS was always too big for me. I'm not a very tall individual, and it's it's a wider, longer um, vehicle. But I love the vantage. I love the co- color. I wanted that particular color. And you know something? I can squarely blame my wife in the most loving way for the purchase of that car. We were in California. And we were in Newport beach and we passed an Aston Martin dealership and we were actually going to go hiking in, um, big bear and we passed it and she goes, Hey, why don't you, um, why don't you test drive a car? And I'm like, who are you? And I said, no, yeah, exactly. And I, we drove farther and she goes, no, no, really, why don't you? And a part of me clicked and I'm a pretty deductive guy. And I said, is she giving me permission to purchase a car? So we probably, you know, did a one eighty too fast in the, in the highway and went back and sure enough, they had the exact year I wanted, which was, I wanted 2006, I wanted that color and they had one right there on the lot, super low miles. I mean, ridiculously low, like I think it was like 9,000 miles for 2006, perfect in every way, not a scratch on it. And I drove it and the guy knew what he was doing. He took me into the, into the Hills. And he said, why don't you open her up? You know what you're doing, which is always nice when someone compliments you falsely. And I did. And just the purr of the engine moved through me in the most nostalgic, emotional way. And he disappeared. And just, it was me, the car and the environment. And I came back and my wife stepped back and she goes, you're beaming like I was pregnant. And um, we purchased it 20 minutes later. And it was a really magical moment. And I did a video of it and, you know, the whole emotional moment of it being on a, you know, car carrier and like, literally I woke up way too early. I don't know if you saw that video. I woke up way too early in the morning and, you know, watched this thing come down, just imagining it falling off of the car carrier in a bad way. And, and it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's still my therapy.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I'm sure like most Bond fans, I have a, a non insignificant amount of dreams that I wake up from where it's like a fall day and I get into a DB five and I drive through like the mountains and like, it's like, that's the closest you can get right now without spending what three or two, $4 <laughs> million is to have a vantage that has an
1: even sweeter purr to it. It's amazing. And you know, I, you'll understand this cause you guys understand luxury and items, but much like my clothing. So my very first expensive pair of shoes were the Phillips Churches from Quantum of Solace. And I remember purchasing those shoes, and they were, you know, $795 and babing them, taking them out when I knew it wasn't going to rain, or if I was going to be indoors on carpeting. It was like that with my vantage. I mean, literally, if there was going to be construction, I had to think twice, or rain, or moisture of any kind. So that quickly Depreciates because these things are made to be loved, worn, and used, and that's when they become really an extension of you. So I had to get into my mindset with that car as well.
0: Yeah, it's just that the, the tires are a little bit uh, much to replace than, uh, than your <laughs> Toyota.
1: That is true. Yeah, yeah.
2: although I, you know I, the the people that like if if you buy you know a nice watch and and you really have to baby it, you don't want to travel with it in case something happens like. I don't know. I I, I don't, I, I agree with you. I think you really got to use it, you know, for what it's intended purpose. And and that's, and that's much more aligned with the kind of bond mindset because at the end of the day, everything he's, everything he has is a tool, you know, to kind of get the job done. Um, even the suits and the cars and the watches.
1: That's a great point. And even Craig's bond, what I love about his bond is he almost has a disregard for his clothing and his items. I mean, Q has always been, you know, festering this hidden anger, not so hidden anger at Bond for, you know, neglecting, you know, his wonderful gadgets. But that is Bond. I mean, he sees it as a tool. I love that.
0: Do you miss some of the gadgetry of like the Brazen era, but especially the the Moore era as we're in the Craig era?
1: I do. I mean, I think one of the reasons why I purchased the Spectre limited edition 300 meter watch from Spectre, the one that is a gadget in the movie is because it was a gadget you know, there was a gadget that was introduced. First of all, beautiful watch. I fell in love with that watch. And again, oh my gosh, I blame my wife. We were heading to the premiere in London and I forget where we even were. We were some European country before that we were in the airport. And it was one of these things where she's like, you know what, why don't you get this for yourself? She's an enabler. But um, but but basically um, that was a gadget. So I think it is a part of me missing that But I dare say from the sneak peek that I've seen from No Time to Die, gadgets may be back.
0: Well, yeah and it seems like we've come through this lull in the bond era when you know mm-hmm. after specter and then ramping up to no time to die now is the best time to follow the bond experience because you doing like you do spoiler alerts before you do any behind the scenes stuff it's very considerate of you uh but talking about some of the stuff is coming out and like to watch you and harris like go through and like dig through and it's like oh these are the Varnay sunglasses and these are you know that's that's really yeah. cool stuff and so I think they're they're all wrapped right shooting, and so it's just a matter of time now until they're they are out.
1: they're all wrapped. And it's interesting what you're saying because, you know, the the attention I think now the brands it used to be that I would have to definitely reach out to the brands and go, hey, guess what? But um, Patty, who's the, the CEO of Barton Pereira, who actually has several, I think four, pairs of sunglasses and No Time to Die, is literally a pen pal with Harris and myself. You know, she emails us every single week. They just had an event in New York city and Harris went there and, you know, represented the bond world, if you will, the brands are really connecting because they know a trailer is going to come out and suddenly people are going to be clamoring for these things. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. By the way, quip pro quo, are you, do you guys collect things sometimes or gravitate to things just because they're bond?
0: I have every James Bond video game or game that's ever been made. That's like my, I really like to focus on those. Nice.
1: Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I'm a I'm a
2: collector exactly, but uh, but we do. I think it's it's interesting how everybody has a a certain bond that they kind of identify with most. And we ask our guests um, what's their favorite uh, James Bond actor, and sometimes it just correlates with age, but sometimes it doesn't. You know, and whenever someone says uh, Pierce, I'm, I always I, I feel like I identify with them a little. I'm like I get you, you know, because because that was kind of the bond that that I grew up with, so that I sort of associate with.
1: You look way too young to be a Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> Pierce
0: Pierce is mine because of GoldenEye.
1: ah yes the,
0: like my like my age group the millennial age group like we grew up spending hours killing our friends on n64 <laughs> playing GoldenEye. it's like that is a yeah. core memory for me in a big way
1: that's amazing well i you know I, you guys probably know my age already but you know my first film which was the spy who loved me so roger moore was always mine but it's he's definitely not my favorite i love i love roger moore He's the gentleman Bond, and I I really love his movies and even the campier ones. But I would have to say um, my favorite Bond, the one that I think is the quintessential Bond is Sean Connery. To me, he's the template to which I compare everybody to. But clearly, 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 the one that I tend to connect with from a sartorial aspect is Daniel Craig.
0: Yeah, he's got the modern fits, modern cuts everything yeah. is, is very recent. Even the
1: fitness aspect, like all of that. I mean, my fitness journey, which, you know, if you saw me in my thirties.
0: Well, yeah. Well, let's, you, let's talk about that a little bit because anybody sure. that follows you would know that, but you were not always a very fit guy. And it sounds like that was inspired by bond.
1: It was entirely inspired by bond, which, you know, sounds so sad in so many ways, but there, there was an evolution. So I remembered, finding out that Daniel Craig around, you know, 2006, obviously when Casino Royale came out and he comes out of the water and you're like, are you serious? Like, what the hell is that? Is that Photoshop? And I'm like, well, that's the new bond. Like it's not Roger Moore, you know, that's it. And I remember saying to myself something else. I said, look, David, you connect with all the sartorial aspects of James Bond. You go to the locations, you follow the games and the movies, what's missing here? And I said, you're, you're not fit like bond. You're kind of this soft, doughy, you know, senior level executive type that looks like he's kind of been melting in the sun. So what are you going to do about that? And then to more, to just to dig at home, I'm like, oh God, Daniel Craig's my age. Like I have really no excuse. So I started the journey working out with two great guys that were much, much younger than me, which was great. Cause I had to try to catch up to them. And just learning tricks, and then in, interested in things like intermittent fasting, and then p90 x and then p ninety x three, and then lifting, and then just thinking about, almost from a discipline standpoint, and using it as therapy workouts as a part of my everyday life. And so it it, it stopped being many years ago about James Bond, or looking like Bond or looking like Craig, because I'll, you know, I'm David Zeritzky. I'm going to look like David Zeritzky, but how do I look like the best version of David Zeritzky? And the one thing I've always said about Bond that I love, even from a professional standpoint is one word that describes Bond to me is he's capable. Whether he understands what a butterfly is or, you know, a raspisado versus an Añejo, he is very capable. So I wanted to try to be the most capable individual. And as you approach, and you guys have many, many years into this, but as you approach your 40s into your 50s, you start losing balance and tone and all these things. And you don't want to be wearing these clothes and having these moments and suddenly say, oh my gosh, I've got a a long way to go. So it's become a part of my life every single day.
0: As much of you losing weight versus just getting more fit, like what what has that trajectory been?
1: A part of it was losing weight. Um, at my height, I was 186, but it was mostly about toning. And, and I remember initially you, you guys would have gotten a kick out of this. It was like the Chris Evans diet. You know, I would eat. You know, if I wanted to be 180 pounds of muscle, I would eat 180 grams of chicken, you know, boiled chicken. I was like reading up on Hugh Jackman. So I was just trying to get big and I got big, but I wasn't very toned. So clothing was kind of weird. It was like this, you know, something didn't look right in my lower GI, but my upper GI looked really good. Then it was about toning and kind of trying to look fit. And that's kind of where we are today.
0: Well, look, there's a few 51-year-olds that I know that I'm gonna look like when I'm 51. But David's risky, and Daniel Craig definitely fit into that mold. One of my old uh, bosses, one of my old bosses was 53, and I was like, if I can look like that guy when I'm 53, I would be a very happy guy.
1: It's not too late for
0: anyone. I uh, know. Well, you gotta you gotta start as soon as you can. Like the best time to start is today or tomorrow. It's not exactly. when you're in your 50s, because then it's way too hard. It's it's you can still do it, but it's harder to get there.
1: Yeah. And I've had so many friends have this philosophical conversations with me about, well, I'm too old or I I don't have enough time or I have kids. And I'm like, guys, we have so many excuses. And that's, that's why we started um, this thing called the uh, hashtag bond 25 fitness challenge. I started that because I wanted to motivate people to really share and not just share their wins or share their successes, but share the mishaps. You know, when they eat a donut, Hashtag bond 25 fitness challenge. Cause guess what? It's not, it's not easy. It's not hashtag bond 25 fitness easy. It's a challenge. Like every day I started running cause I had a uh, shoulder injury about four weeks ago and running is super hard for me. So it's a challenge, but what if we all did this together? What if we supported each other and rooted each other on? And that's why the hashtag became kind of a thing. What does
2: your day look like now? I mean, obviously, fitness is a part of it, but what, what is an average day
1: for you? Yeah, I wouldn't recommend my day to anyone. And, I, and I'm not saying this in a, a martyr standpoint, but I will get up around 4 a.m. I, my, I have a wrist, silent wrist alarm, so I don't wake my wife up. It's set for 5. I don't remember the last time it went off. So I usually get up at 4. I do have a rule. If my body gets me up at 3 a.m. or after, I get up out of bed. If it's before, I try to put myself back to sleep. So I'll wake up anywhere from three to four. Immediately go down, have two Nespresso's before I even think. I'll read a couple emails, but I won't send any emails. I won't do any work until I have my Nespresso's. Sounds like an ad. They don't pay me. I wish. Um, <laughs> then, <to> drink those? <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> coming up in time to die in Nespresso.
1: Exactly. Only for Bond, but. The reality is is after that i i do my workout so i'm one of those people that i believe that my hardest things should be done in the morning and so and by the way that's when i'm thinking the most creatively and the most alert so i go i go for my run or i do my p90x etc and then um i'll come back obviously do my shower and all that wonderful stuff I'm dressed. I'll probably go back to my computer, go back to my home office for a little while. And then I'm um, head off to work, probably head to work around seven, seven thirty in the morning. Got a nice commute through the countryside where I can drive my fun cars or, or not. And, um, I'm, for those that don't know, I'm a CEO of a pharmaceutical agency that I, I love and adore because the people are great and we're all around empowering storytelling. So it's a, it's a marketing technique that a lot of Agencies have forgotten or lost or never even started, but this whole idea that instead of marketing being about pushing features and benefits, what about telling stories where the person listening to something is a character or wants to be a character in the story? And you guys do this beautifully. I've seen all your, your videos and I listened to your podcast where if I can start thinking about oh, that backpack, imagine if I'm wearing that backpack. If I'm, what if I'm him? You know, that's what that that whole aspect of customer experiences and storytelling comes to play. So I'll do that. And by the way, I don't work till seven or nine o'clock at night. I'm usually out before 5 PM and I go home. I have dinner with my wife every single night, poor thing, um, or with my son or daughter, um, who are gainfully employed and happily outside the house. So we're empty nesters. And then, uh, the rest of the evening is maybe answering a couple of emails, but I try just to relax. You know catch up on Disney plus, Mandalorian, um, Netflix, oh,
2: yeah things
1: like that. yeah, I'm pretty addicted to Disney plus grown man
2: <laughs> and does does everybody at work kind of like know about your you know your your other life and and your brand or is it is it kind of uh, under the radar?
1: Not only does everybody at work know and every family member, every client that we have knows and celebrates, and I'll tell you why. Check this out, guys. so we're a marketing company. We're an advertising company. One of the things we started doing years ago was social media and influencer marketing. Imagine if you will, if a 51 year old gray haired CEO guy can walk the walk and talk the talk. And so many of the times during our pitches, when we give examples and we kind of subtly drop the hint that, well, maybe this guy has a bit of a channel and they go there and they go, this is a no shit situation. Like they're not just talking about nebulous ideas or dipping their toes in the water. Everybody in the company, even that old guy is, is following these different aspects. So I've had clients over my house to watch bond movies, surrounded by screen used items with martinis in their hands. They bring their kids. They love it. I have never had a negative situation with business, with employees or with family ever, which is hard to say with my hobby and passion. So it, it's, it's emulsified as part of my professional life.
2: Awesome.
0: Have you been recognized in airports?
1: Uh, you, yeah, you've heard that story. <laughs> Streets of New York, which is weird um, and airports and some weird places. Like we were at the TED conference and um, we were just walking in Vancouver, which we've never been there before. And I mean, I was heavily clothed in disguise, so to speak, but not disguised on purpose. And some guy was like, David Ritsky from the bond experience. And you guys probably get this too, but they never introduce themselves. It's, it's like, Hey, can I get a picture or, you know, shake your hand? And I'm like, well, tell me your name. And what do you like about the bond experience? And I love those. I love those moments. Yeah. It's like shock.
2: It's wild. Yeah. It is. It is the same thing though. It's funny. Cause a lot of, a lot of times if it, and it doesn't happen to me that much. But when it does, a lot of times we'll say modest, man, they don't even say Brock. Just <laughs> It's like, modest man. It's like yeah, like, yeah, but it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, I want to talk to you. And like, how did you hear about it? Like, what, you know, what, what, what content do you like? And Right. But yeah, it's usually a very quick interaction.
0: <laughs> I usually ask what's their handle because I would recognize, like, I have such oh, a regular nice. dialogue with so many guys on Instagram or so many comments. Like, what's your YouTube name? Because I would probably recognize that. And then the, the few of them that have said is like, oh, no, I don't really comment. And so...
1: Well, I think a part of it is, is I, I've heard you guys say this too, for me especially, the best part of this hobby is not the hunt, it's not the clothing, it's not the trips, um, or even working with the brands. It really is the people, the people that you meet. And I've made some incredible friends like Harris and Simon and Matt, um, who are lifelong friends. I mean, we vacation together. Our our wives and our significant others know each other. And I think it's been a drive because when people see these events or these parties happen at my house you know, they, they have a lot of fun watching them, but honestly, I get all the time like, well, why isn't it open to the public? Well, it's my house or this is a brand event. Um, recently we actually, um, are throwing kind of an open invite event because there were so many people that just wanted to connect. And I think people want to do that, not in a virtual way, but they want to do it more in a uh, a physical way. That's why it's so special to them.
2: Well, we, d- we do a, uh, a series of rapid-fire questions uh, oh. that you haven't prepared for. Uh, quick one or two word answers if you're up for it.
1: Absolutely. Shoot.
2: Oxfords or brogues? Uh, brogues. Lifting or cardio? Lifting. Loafers or sneakers? Oh, loafers. Yes, loafers. In terms of style, spring, summer, or fall, winter?
1: Fall. Because nice. of
2: jacket weather. I agree. Uh, <laughs> morning shower or evening shower?
1: Morning. Almost almost always. Jeans, chinos, or trousers? This is not going to be very hip, but chinos.
2: Chinos, yeah, I, I love them. They're they, they do their Swiss army knife of uh, pants.
1: <laughs> they really are,
2: yeah, I agree. Well, we usually ask one of these questions, his favorite James Bond. We've already gone over it, so let me say... Let me change it. How about least favorite James Bond actor, if you have one? Oh, wow.
1: Okay. You know something? I'm actually going to say Timothy Dalton. And, and you know, poor guy. I actually do like what he did with the character. I think he's a badass Bond. And he's actually the most like Fleming. But from a likability standpoint, um, you know, it's interesting. People tend to gravitate to George Lazenby. But now that I've met him a couple times and spent time with him, he is James Bond. Like, you know, he is this <laughs> wonderfully misogynistic individual that just exudes James Bond. So he was not acting. So I think I kind of like him more because he's just transparent George Lazenby pretending to be Bond. But yeah, I'll say Timothy Dalton.
2: Okay. And then last question if you're, uh, if you had a big day and you're trying to get fired up in the morning, what song are you listening to during that morning shower?
1: Morning shower. I don't listen to music during the morning shower. Can I say run? Just to get yeah, into that mindset. Yeah, yeah it's a good. One. Um, oh my gosh. So it's, it, by the way, there's no bond themes. I've took all my bond music off of my exercise stuff. Cause it distracts me. I start thinking about the movie and the video, but probably, oh my gosh, this is going to sound, I, ah, uh, gosh, please don't end on this question. Cause it's horrible. But I tend to listen to the Rocky training theme from Rocky four. On my run, just because it's just this powerful, powerful theme. Or Europe's The Final Countdown is another good one that I get really into. Yeah. You got, that, you
0: got that Philly heritage right there, Rocky. I think that's what it
1: is. It's the Philly stuff.
0: Yeah. No, I realized with there was that Hulu movie documentary about George Lazenby a few years ago. And watching that, I was like, oh, this guy is actually like he. Cheated. He he snuck his way into being Bond, yeah. and then he like fell off. But the way that he talks about women and everything, I was like, that guy is James Bond.
1: He's becoming Bond. I, so I had um, his manager is the nicest guy. His name is Anders, he, and he's also an influencer. And he basically um, there was a dinner for him after a spy museum event in Washington. So I got to have dinner with him, and there was a group of uh, very attractive blonde women sitting at a table. And without missing a beat, he grabbed his drink. Didn't say anything to anybody, just walked over there and just started chatting up. And his opening line is, you guys like James Bond? And they're like, yeah, we love James Bond. He goes, yeah, well, I played James Bond. And then that was it. Pictures, hugs, God knows what. I mean, just it's amazing. The guy has James Bond game. That's
2: wild. I guess if I were him, I'd be doing the exact same thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we can't use that line. It won't work.
2: Yeah. yeah, I don't know anybody that wouldn't use that line.
1: So now we're
0: we're ramping up to no time to die. We got the yes. movie in the spring. What do you? I mean, that's probably what you're most excited about in the next twelve months. But uh, is there anything else that you're just like just itching to do?
1: You know, something I'm I'm itching to go to some of the locations from no time to die, Matera, Italy. Um, go back to Jamaica, but obviously maybe maybe go see Goldeneye. I've never been to Goldeneye, so locationally, I'd love to do some things. Um, I'm interested in seeing the first trailer because that's when you know us crazy people start to identify some of the other clothing and then get to you know have these wonderful conversations with the brands and go for the hunt. So more videos like that. I mean, I believe it or not, I'm averaging like two to three videos a week, which is insane because I usually do um one interview of somebody in the bond community that I really want them to be, uh, liked and 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 heard from other people. I usually do a sortorial one. And then I usually do a chatting one, like a he said, she said type one, where I'm speaking to somebody else about it. The number one thing I'm looking to do in the next 12 months though, is to re-engage with other fans like myself, but in person, like more events, more face-to-face things, more parties. I mean, those are the things that are just create indelible memories.
0: It should be easy to get going with the brands now that they're ready to promote.
1: They're ready. Yeah. Wait, wait, do you see, I would say end of February, beginning of March, you're going to see a lot of noise around the brands. Some, some brands actually cannot even come out of the woodwork and say that they're bond brands until that time. So there's a, there's a time they call it an embargo. I'm sure you've heard the term where they can't say anything yet, but when they do, it'll be a loud noise. Daniel will be everywhere. He'll be everywhere. That's right. Even in yeah. silhouette, like on a Heineken bottle.
0: Yeah, that's when they got him the last time to say he would slit his wrist. was That That was like five, four years ago now.
1: It was. That was such a wonderfully contextual moment for him. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys excited about with Bond? Because you guys, I know, are, you know, from a sartorial aspect at least, are connected. Are you looking forward to the new movie?
0: Yes, I've been dying to, to go through that experience again. Like, I had the Spectre card, the uh, – whatever they had the unlimited card to see. So I saw that oh, I saw nice. Spectre a lot in theaters and uh, just to like, my son is this it's my son is probably like four years too young for it, but I've shown him a few scenes and like started to get him into it. He's really into star Wars. So we're excited for star Wars. How
1: old is your um, son?
0: He just turned four. Yes. So yeah.
1: Show you know a few you scenes. Wait till seven years of age and say for your 007 birthday, I'm going to show you the bond movies. Yeah. It'd be the best gift. But
0: any, like, I know that Brown has a new, a new series coming, and then, like, mm-hmm. to see NPL do more in that universe of, like, you know, here's a reinterpretation of a Bond style, it's, uh, I'm excited for
1: that. It is. Very exciting.
0: Well, it's great to connect to you, David. Just looking forward to all the stuff coming up, and it's great to meet you, because following you for a while.
1: Oh, well, thanks, guys. I really, you know, it's a self-appreciation, a mutual appreciation in the sense that uh, you guys are doing a great job. I was really excited to be on this show. and All right, gents. Have a good day. You too. Talk
2: to you later. Cheers.